welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Ellen, and in each episode, I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of a top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and be full of behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips that will help you get into your dream school. If you'd like to chat with one of these experts, you can sign up for a free consultation at the link in the description of this episode. Today, we'll hear from Erin Gu, Ingenious Prep's Chief Education Officer, about the trends she saw in the 2020 to 2021 college admission cycle and what she expects the class of 2022 will face. Hi, Erin. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Alan. Glad to be here. Well, first of all, could you just tell me more about yourself, about how you got here, your role in Ingenious Prep? Yeah, of course. I was actually born in uh, China and came to the U.S. as a middle school student in seventh grade uh, with my family. So I immigrated here and then learned English as a second language myself. I went to a public high school in the Washington, D.C. area. And then uh, during my own application process, sort of got lucky, I think, (laughs) enough to be admitted to Dartmouth College, where I studied biology and environmental science. That's also where I sort of discovered my love for education to work with young people. And so I then went on to teach in China and then also got my master's in education back in the U.S. at Harvard. And then I taught a couple of years in high school in the Boston area before coming over to Ingenius um, as the chief education officer. And here I oversee all of our work with our students. I counsel some students myself, but also most importantly, I make sure that we stay up to date with the most latest information and most relevant information for our students. I make sure that our students and family have a positive experience working with us. Jumping right into our topic today, I'd love to know what were your expectations going into this admission cycle? And then what, if any changes, did you not foresee? Yeah, so going to the 2020 to 21 admission cycle, we knew that things were going to be different because COVID has hit the globe and everything was changing. Everybody's lives were changing and we knew that it was going to impact the admissions cycle as well. And they weren't immune um, to this change. So we had anticipated that colleges will implement test optional policies because it was becoming impossible for students to take exams in person. And we also anticipated that there will probably be some kind of increase in application numbers just because of the test optional policy. As our former admissions officers tell us, you know, when a university like Bowdoin went test optional, they saw a pretty significant increase in the number of applications. So we were anticipating something like that would happen. However, we did not anticipate the scale at which this impacted everything and the scale at which the application numbers increased. So we were pretty surprised at the dramatic decrease in acceptance rates and also just the sheer volume of applications that the colleges had to handle for the 2020 to 2021 admission cycle. As part of your role as our chief education officer, you're privy to all parts of the admissions process and you've done a large scale sort of analytical post-mortem on this past uh, admission cycle, and you've been able to identify different trends, both for ingenious students and non-ingenious students. So I'd love if you could just tell us what primary admissions trends have you been able to identify? 
Yeah. So I already mentioned this a little bit. I think the test to optional policies at universities where SAT and ACT requirements are no longer a required part of the admissions process have definitely opened up the field. Um, so a lot more students are applying to competitive colleges that maybe they once wouldn't have otherwise, where if they didn't, if they had a score that they had to submit, then they might not have. And I think colleges definitely saw a more and more applicants. Um, and then that's something that impacted the decisions quite quite a lot. And the other trend that we saw is that each student applying to more schools, which also means that the volume of applications at top schools are increasing, uh, but also that things will probably be a little bit less predictable for the colleges as well, because the students that they admit are likely to be weighing multiple offers and that they may not be able to predict as much how many of their admitted students will be attending their institution. So these are sort of general trends that we saw. And with our, our particular students, um, you know, we saw some of them are able to successfully be admitted to their top schools, even without a score. So we were happy to see that was the case. And also for our students, you know, the students who had a, a more balanced school list tended to be more successful with their results, especially because of the increased uh, competitiveness at the very, very top schools. Let's hone in on some of these trends. Could you talk a little bit more about the role of test optional and test blind policies in the past admission cycle, in addition, obviously, to increasing application numbers? Yeah, of course. I think the college's implemented this policy and some of institutions had done it beforehand really to increase access. And I think that was something that was really important to the colleges. And we saw that they were interested in recruiting even more diverse student body. And they were able to do so through the test optional policy where they did see students who were from maybe backgrounds that they hadn't seen before really sort of be prepared and excel at their institution as well. So that's something that the test optional policy allowed colleges to do is to, to entertain and to consider a wider range of students, which was a very definitely something that colleges were interested in. And we also know that the test optional policy allows students who have strong high school achievements, high school academic achievements to compete in a way that they wouldn't have been able to before. And so students who work really hard all four years of high school who maintain a re really rigorous course load, who, you know, maintain a really high um, GPA at those in those classes, maybe but would rather have not been like great test takers, those students were allowed to sort of shine to compete in a way that they could have before. And I think that it also forced colleges to look at a student's context and profile even more fully, because when you have a score, concrete data points that admissions officers are sometimes unconsciously biased towards, um, and that they sort of give the students a little bit more credibility because of a higher score, even unconsciously, right, unintentionally. Um, but without that score, it really pushed the admissions offices to look at the rest of the student's profile and the rest of their application materials. So that includes their essays, their activities list, and, you know, what have they done in the past four years in high school outside of academics, and then also the teacher's letter of recommendations and all of those sort of auxiliary materials that were a little bit sort of shadowed by the academics piece before um, sort of came into even more focus this time. 
One of the most headline-making trends we saw was that these admissions rates were just plunging so low, you know, 3.4% at Harvard. And as you said, that was because there was that increase in number of applications, because of the uncertainty of COVID, because of test-optional policies, but the spots remained inelastic. If anything, there was even fewer spots at some school because of students deferring and all that. But what do you expect next year? Are we going to see these admissions rates staying that low? Are they going to decline further? Are they going to rise a little? Yeah, so we suspect that it will probably re- remain relatively low. I don't think we'll see another sort of significant decrease because there's really not that much room to, for it to go at this point. But it is likely to stay at around this this number, or maybe even slightly increasing.、Um, I think a lot of students saw how competitive things were in the 2020 to 2021 cycle. So perhaps some students might be reconsidering their strategy a little bit, and others. And then, as of course, with like. Limited deferral of admitted students from this year, so a lot, most of the students who are accepted are going to start their classes classes in enrollment fall 2021 instead of deferring a year. We think that the number of spots will actually be slightly more for than this past cycle. So it is possible that the the admissions rate might increase just. Slightly to compensate for because of those two factors combined, but I I don't think that they will return to pre-COVID numbers immediately. A lot of our students are really gunning for those top ten schools, those Ivy Leagues, and a lot of students in general are really interested in school rankings. So I'd love if we could go ahead and break down admission trends by tier, looking maybe at the Ivy League top ten, top twenty, top thirty, top fifty, and are there any distinct trends within these tiers? Yeah. So for the most part, there aren't significant differences between these tiers of schools, especially in terms of admissions trends. I think you know, as you would suspect, the more selective the school is, the more applications they will get, and the lower the admit rate. And I think that is a general trend that everybody understands. I think one thing to note is that the top ten schools are definitely more likely to want. To have students who have strong test scores, even as they remain test optional, especially from students from who have you know come from non-disadvantaged backgrounds, they are going to expect that kind of academic preparedness and the kind of academic test scores and standard that those kind of students would bring. Whereas as you go down the on the ranking a little bit, schools might be more open to students who don't have a score and are more likely to admit students without. A super strong score, so so that I think is a is a trend to note, especially for the top ten schools. They they just have so many applications, and they they have they can you know take their pick, so to speak. And how did our students do in comparison to the general population of students applying this year? I'm really happy to share that Ingenious students did quite well in comparison to the general population. And so you know, at especially institutions like Harvard, U Chicago. You know, Washington University, St. Louis, and、uh, NYU. Our students' admit rates were two to three times higher than the official numbers offered by the college. So that was really, really ha-、um, exciting to see. And 82、um, percent of our students, you know, were admitted to a top 
30 school, which is really incredible. We're very proud of all of the work that went into making that happen and all of the students for their great achievements. And for students who are unable to access a resource such as Ingenious, are there any takeaways or strategies, you know, just at a high level that they could learn from our students, perhaps about building a school list, the number of schools they apply to, taking advantage of test optional policies? Taking advantage of test optional policies is a great option for students. Um, I think one, uh, how you want to think about it is that if your test score falls within the range of the admitted students, then for that particular school that you're looking for, then it is a good option or a good idea to submit it. Obviously, if it's higher than the average, then definitely you should submit it too. But if you're on the lower end where you fall below um, to the middle 50 percentile of the admitted scores, um, then you should probably not submit your score. I mean, especially if you have strong academic supports or evidence from the rest of your profile. So that includes high school grades, but also, you know, if you have taken AP classes at school and done well on your AP exams, those will definitely help sort of validate your academic potential. And in terms of school list, yes. So our, most of our students apply to 10 to 15 schools. And so I think that it's a good idea to have a range of schools in that. Um, And especially if you're looking at the very top schools, that's a a good idea. And obviously, if you have other criteria that limit your 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 selection, then fewer is okay as well. But you do want to have at least sort of five to six that you really like, um, and then you know that you have a good chance at so that you end up with some good options at the end. Other thing to, to consider is that take time to consider not just your essays, but also your activities list. A lot of students don't put enough attention on the activities list. Um, It's actually quite important because the goal the admissions officers have is to understand how you're spending your time outside of class. Um, So that is your goal, their goal. So, you know, if you spend time taking care of a younger sibling or tutoring them, um, write that. Um, And if you are helping and contributing to, you know, your home, or if you have a job where you work, you know, 20 hours a week, definitely write that in. The key is to also describe to the best of your ability exactly what you do and your contribution And as much as possible, use numbers to help you communicate just how much time and effort it took for you to complete that activity. It doesn't have to be an organized activity through a third party. Um, It can just be anything that you're doing outside of school. Um, So if you read a lot of books, that counts too. Feel free to use the activities list opportunity to tell the admissions officers how you're accounting for the time uh, that you have outside of school hours and homework. And we have plenty of free resources regarding the activities list in particular that I can link in the description of this episode. In the episode about strategizing your time before senior year, Catherine suggested that students take all 10 spaces of their activities list. And she suggested that if you don't have 10 official activities, you can use things like if you're an avid 
crossword puzzler person, you can put that in there and that lets admissions officers see a little bit of your personality, see that you're very passionate about words. It could probably lend itself very well if you're having a maybe humanities background. And then I additionally want to just mention that if students have any financial hardship, but they want to apply to as many schools as possible, they can always apply for fee waivers. So just talk to your counselor at your school and see what kind of opportunities are available for you. Yes, great point. And then we do work with a lot of international students, so I'd like to give them a little shout out and talk about how these admission trends and changes have been affecting international students in particular. Yeah, of course. I think what we saw in this past cycle is that there wasn't any significant notable sort of decreases of admitted international applicants overall or from any particular countries. Um, so there is no concern there. Colleges seem to still very welcome, uh, very welcoming to international students and they want a diverse campus. And so that trend will continue going forward. Uh, but it will continue to remain very challenging, just like it has always been for international students. Without testing, we think that uh, students who are going to well-established high schools abroad will have a slight advantage since U.S. colleges will be more familiar with their high school context and trust their curriculum and rigor and grades a little bit more for students who are at schools that might not be as well known or be as familiar to U.S. colleges without testing. It might be a little bit harder for them to evaluate the rigor of the transcript or the, the credibility behind the student's GPA. Uh, it's not to say that it's not possible, but they are just at a slight disadvantage. It's hard to believe it, but our students are already hard at work on their applications for the upcoming admission cycle, writing their personal statements, choosing their early decision schools. So since the 2021 to 2022 admission cycle is just getting closer and closer, what's your forecast? Do you know what trends are here to stay? What do you think will kind of dissipate, even maybe disappear as we're moving hopefully away from the pandemic? Yeah, I think um, test to optional policies will stay for the most part. There are some schools who are already requiring tests again, but I think those schools will remain very minority um, instead of the majority. Test optional policies will likely to uh, be staying. I think students will continue to apply to more schools. Um, that's a part of the large trend over decades. Um, so that will continue. And then application numbers will remain high. Um, I don't think you'll see the same amount of increase uh, again, but I think they will probably be pretty stable or around the same amount that, that we saw the previous year with potentially a little bit of a dip. I think this year we will probably see a wider range of students applying to college than that happened in 2020 to 2021 cycle because a lot of low-income or first-generation students did not apply last year because of all the uncertainty and potentially the impact of COVID on their home family financial situation. So I think this year we'll see some of those students coming back um, and also potentially some of those students who didn't apply last year applying this year after a year, uh, a gap year, working probably at home or helping out. And I also think that the colleges will continue to want to recruit a more diverse student body. So that means students, not just from different sort of racial backgrounds, but also high school contexts and lived experiences. Um, I think that will probably continue to be the trend. I think the, the, the deferral you know, admitted students deferring their enrollment, that's a trend that's probably dissipating and not staying this year. I think almost rising college freshmen are enrolling this fall um, as anticipated. And one other thing that I think 
we're not quite sure how it would impact colleges yet is the requirement or potential requirement of vaccines uh, for students on campuses. And so if, if a lot of students respond negatively and they actually end up not going back to school, then I think that means a little bit more opportunity for some new students to join the ranks um, as, as colleges lose some of their, those students um, in the fall. But we don't really know for sure until, you know, there's a lot of sort of litigation going on still with those requirements. Um, and I think yeah, it remains to be seen um, what the, the vaccination requirements, how those might differ between colleges and then how that might impact their enrollment numbers. I assume that for the majority of these trends, the trends are pretty similar between undergraduate and between graduate schools. But are there any trends that are outliers specifically for graduate programs, such as medical school, law school, general master's or PhD programs? Yeah, that's a great question. So when the economy is bad, people go to school. And so that is usually the trend. And so for graduate programs, it's actually been uh, a little bit more competitive as well this year. Um, and I think for med- medical school in particular, um, you know, a lot of people got inspired by Dr. Fauci and um, they really sort of want to devote themselves into the healthcare profession. And there is definitely an increased need um, on that side. And so we are seeing, you know, an increased uh, sort of interest in those programs. Um, so I think that will probably continue to be relatively competitive, especially in medical school. There's other healthcare related programs that might be a little bit less selective, but medical school will probably continue to be more selective. And uh, for PhD programs, it really is going to depend quite a bit on the funding that's available. Um, So when COVID hit, a lot of colleges you know, kept on their PhD students. Um, and then and some PhD students were not able to graduate as anticipated because they didn't have access to their labs um, or to the library to complete their research. Um, and so there is uh, the trend of, you know, those PhD students uh, still staying in their position instead of that opening up for new students to join. Um, so because of that, those will probably be um, relatively competitive as well. So given all this uncertainty and the increased competitiveness of the past admission cycle, how do you recommend students adjust their school lists? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think that we've always suggested a balanced school list that has a range of schools. So not just your safeties, but also particularly now, like a good a few options of, you know, target slash match schools, right? Schools where your competitiveness or your academic profile and extracurricular profile puts you sort of right in within range of what they typically accept. Um, So those kind of places will be much more important as we go on because at the very top schools, the dream schools, the rich schools are becoming less predictable. And so having good options in the middle tier is actually really key to making sure that students end up with good options on the other side that they are excited about. So definitely avoid a situation where you only have, you know, one to two safety programs. That's sort of maybe your easiest go to your in-state and then everything else is, you know, the top 10 schools 
schools, um, I think that would be a bad list um, because you're likely or it's possible to only end up with just the safety option and the student and family would be quite disappointed. But whereas, you know, if you have a robust middle tier school options that you're more likely to end up with a few good choices um, in the end, uh, which is always better than only having one option. I can also link some resources in the description about building a school list, because I know when I was applying to colleges in high school, I didn't understand completely the difference between a safety school, a reach school, target school. And one thing I've learned here is that even for the most outstanding student schools with acceptance rates under 20% are really uh, reach schools for everyone. So even if you're just the most outstanding student, you really need to find some target and safety schools that have a much better padding, a much higher acceptance rate, just because of the increased uncertainty and competitiveness that we've talked about. Right. Yes, exactly. And then assuming that some of these changes we talked about today are going to go away, when do you think we're going to return to normal? And then what is that new normal going to look like as far as admissions? Yeah, I think (laughs) normal is probably a relative term at this point, right? Um, I think we're going to see probably a a continued rippling effect for the next two cycles, but maybe by the 2023 cycle, we'll see things sort of settling down and and continuing as uh, as more predictable ways. I think the new normal will include test optional policies, uh, although I suspect that more and more students will have testing available. So that will return a little bit more towards sort of the pre-COVID, be more similar to that. And and I think colleges are going to reevaluate their admissions practices. So they had one cycle, this past cycle, where they experimented out of necessity, (laughs) different approaches to their admissions decision-making. And I think that they're hard at work tweaking it for this cycle, upcoming cycle. Um, And after this cycle, I think we'll see them sort of settling more into a new mix, potentially, um, for the next couple of cycles. I think that their institutional priorities are likely to change. I think we saw pretty big changes this past year um, with more focus on diversity and especially sort of first-generation students, um, students from uh, low-income families. Um, And I think that will probably continue and there might be some shifts to the institutional priorities in the next cycle or so, but those will, will settle down as well as time goes on. And yeah, and I think the colleges will continue to try to balance between their social justice missions and social movement missions, um, and also their desire for students who are prepared for college and college preparation and academic success. Um, So I think that's a trend and and a a normal, I guess, that we can expect from the colleges, and, and that will have implications for the students. Is there anything else you'd like to share with class of 2022, or their parents, their teachers, their counselors, as they're starting this new journey? Yes, I think a college application process is a really important and sometimes nerve-wracking and anxious, uh, anxiety-inducing, but also very exciting chapter of each student and family. Uh, in addition to looking at uh, sort of the ultimate result from your process, the process is also really important. 
So um, students learn through this process. It's done well. You know who they are as people, what they want, um, and what they enjoy, and what they like, and what kind of college environment they're looking for.、Um, and they really start to understand the different types of colleges and the lived experiences there might be.、Um, and I think so for a family and for a student, that process is actually quite important to be able to for to be forced. To distill their, you know, eighteen years of experience,、um, and to articulate who they are as people.、Um, and I think for a family, you know, the parents being involved in the process and supporting the student,、um, and also having them be more of a decision maker in the process, sets them up very well for the next stage of their life, where they are going to make more decisions on their own and be more independent. And hopefully, all of the Eighteen years of hard work from the parents is going to pay off as well in in the way that their student is going to make the right choices for themselves. Thank you so much for joining us today, Erin. I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insight into the 2020-2021 college admission cycle. For more information, check out our blog linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social media with the hashtag #InsideAdmissions. That's all for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office. <laughs>